0: Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast from The Times, I'm Natalie Sawyer.
1: And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're here with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business.
0: And joining us today are The Times' very own James Gierbrandt, and later on we're going to speak to Martin Ziegler. Coming up we'll take a look at the Premier League's appointment of David Pempsil as their new chairman and we'll talk about Pep Guardiola's comments on Phil Foden. First though we are looking back at a bad night for Tottenham as they are badly beaten by Bayern Munich. Well, Tottenham became the first English side to concede seven goals at home in a major European competition on Tuesday night. After initially taking the lead, Maurizio Pochettino's side completely capitulated And Bayern went on to win 7-2. Now, the Times' Henry Winter wrote this week, "Alf Wiedersehen, This is the type of humiliating result and shaming performance that forces managers either to consider their own future or question the suitability of members of their dressing room to assist in the fight back. Maurizio Pochettino, Tottenham Hotspur's manager, is an emotional soul and such an embarrassment as this surely leads him to a crossroads. James, are these troubling times then for Tottenham?
2: I think they are. They're clearly troubling troubling times for Tottenham. I felt they were unlucky, to be honest, on on Tuesday. It was a very strange match. And you were there, we should say. I was, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a very strange match in which I think Tottenham actually played pretty well for the first sort of, you know, 35 minutes. Um, Had chances to go 2-1 up to retake the lead and Obviously, you know the match could have unfolded very differently had they taken any of those chances. Uh, and then, obviously, you know in the second, obviously Bayern scored before half time, and and obviously in the second half, Bayern just ran incredibly hot in front of goal, finished basically all their chances, uh, and then there was obviously that that very strange period at the end where you know Tottenham slightly capitulated and conceded three goals in five minutes. So I I do I do think there was an element of of freakishness to this particular match. That the problem is that I think when you lose 7-2 and you have a result of that magnitude, you don't really get that leeway, do you? I think when teams when teams lose like 4-1, you quite sometimes hear people say, you know, oh, it was an unlucky 4-1, to be fair. Yeah. When you lose 7-2, you just don't really get that leeway in the kind of sort of the general conversation around the game, even though I do think they they were unlucky. But if you pan out more broadly, I do think... These are troubling times. I've I've said before. I think this is this is the kind of the hardest, the most kind of extended run of bad form that they've had under Pochettino. And 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 you know, for me, it goes back into the kind of the final, the the Premier League form in the final months of last season. Um, And and obviously, it's continued into this season. Um, They've only won three of ten games in all competitions, which obviously is. It's not good. Um, and and as Pochettino has kind of alluded to, that obviously these things kind of take on a momentum of their own and there's now a kind of, there's a mood around the club, there's an atmosphere around the club, which is, and there's obviously a kind of, there's a discourse around the club and a narrative around the club, uh, which are not good at this stage. And and it's going to, you know, it's a bit of a tailspin and it's going to take a lot of kind of strength of character and, you know, obviously it's going to take a run of, you know, a sustained run of good form, to to get them out of it. When you look at the performance
0: as a whole, though, in that game against Bayern, Gregor, the lack of response, lack of heart, that fight, that will worry Pochettino, won't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything James has said there. It's kind of, this is a long-running, sort of, it's been built into this, I think, really. Um, And the one thing you've got to say is that Poch has to sort of take some significant blame for Sort of cultivating that atmosphere of uncertainty, even negativity, over over quite a considerable period of time. You know about his own future, um, about sort of issues in the transfer market, um, and uh, and and about the sort of futures of of some of his key players. So I think really that's that's really the only thing you can you can point at Pochettino. Yes, there's some things you can say tactically he perhaps has got wrong, but. He certainly got more right than wrong over the over his his time uh, at Spurs, um, and you kind of have to, as as James said, you have got to step back and sort of remember what Spurs were like before he arrived. And now Champions League football is an, an expectation rather than an achievement for Spurs, and they've still got a wage bill that's kind of dwarfed by everyone else about 150 million at the last set of accounts. Manchester United more than 300 million so you kind of you've got to <laughs> you've got to remember the job he's done there um, but as James says this does kind of take on a life of its own and the winds of change are blowing through at Tottenham and I think it's about Tottenham doing something to to sort of control them to harness <laughs> to harness that and say right do what we can to make sure that Pochettino is, is going to stay and sort of give him assurances that he's going to be allowed to rebuild the squad because it is going to be a pretty big rebuild I think now in terms of they're going to, they could need a, a new back four, essentially. Mm. Sports just have to get a, a hold of that really quite soon, I think.
0: So there are players whose contracts are coming to an end, notably Vertonghen, Alderweireld, Ericsson as well. There's been speculation over the manager's future. Real Madrid linked with Pochettino before. Real Madrid have failed to win in European competition again. This time they scraped to a draw against Club Bruges at home. The rumours will inevitably circulate once again, James. So would it be good for all parties now to move on? And who would then be a good suitor for Spurs?
2: Personally and kind of subjectively, I really like Mauricio Pochettino. And I have I've loved the Pochettino project at Tottenham. I've loved the kind of the philosophy, the continuity, the the style of football, the the emphasis he's put on developing young players, the way that he's kind of shown that you know a great team can be built as well as just bought. I think the whole thing has been fantastic. But as someone who likes Pochettino and and likes Tottenham, I slightly get kind of Jurgen Klopp. Can't remember the exact year, but sort of twenty when he left the final season at Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, you know final season at Borussia Dortmund vibes, where you've had something great, but it's kind of you know there's a sense of staleness a sense of dysfunction, and I think just a sense of something that has kind of, that may be approaching the end of of its kind of natural life cycle. Because let's not forget, this is kind of, by the kind of standards of modern football, this is an unusually long and kind of quite stable project that Tottenham have had not just in terms of Pochettino, but in terms of a large core of players that have been there. I think, you know, we, we've we all heard that. I think it's that Alex Ferguson quote about, you know, kind of four years is the most you can hope for in modern football before you have to freshen things up somehow. I wonder if Pochettino, maybe at the end of this season, they have a big clear out and, you know, maybe that kind of gets some of that freshness back. Uh, Alex Ferguson always used to sack his assistant, which I don't mm-hmm. think Pochettino is going to do because he's obviously got a very close relationship with Jesus Perez. Or you come to, obviously, the other option where you wonder if maybe... I wonder if maybe it might be best for for Pochettino, the manager, who I think is a brilliant manager, whether it might be best for this particular project to come to an end, maybe at the end of the season, to give himself a sabbatical in the same way that Jurgen Klopp did and come back to a new project. I've massively, massively, massively admired what he's done at Tottenham. You know, the man himself clearly has had some slightly those thoughts as well because he said didn't he before the Champions League final you know yes. maybe you know maybe this would be a great way to win the I can't remember to end the journey I can't remember exactly what he said but he certainly was that, that that effect And sad, so I don't know the sad I sad thing would
1: be, it would be it would feel like an opportunity missed you know Tottenham were progressing for, for so many years under him they could have won the Premier League the season Leicester did perhaps should have really that was an opportunity and players as James is saying players have been developed and improved and then there's the Champions League final, um, and it, I think that management—I don't know—it's like a relationship. You want to be—you want to—you want to see the direction of travel. You want to be progressing. You don't want to be taking a step backwards. And as James said, this has already been a long tenure for a for a for a for a manager these days. Man- managerial careers aren't aren't all that long. He's probably mm-hmm. going to be thinking, "Have I missed the best opportunity at this at this football club?" And even with assurances that he's going to have money to build a new team again, it w- will be a new team. It'll be like starting starting again.
0: I mean, it's interesting. It's not the first time that he has come out and sort of aired his displeasure at things that are going on in the summer. He referred to the fact that maybe he should change his job title from manager to to head coach, because he just clearly doesn't have any influence over the the transfer activity at, at, at Tottenham. Some would suggest, yes, he has spent some money this summer, but is it really enough money to change the squad in the direction that he wants to go in? If there are all these, um, problems arising and if those those purse strings are being held tightly by Daniel Levy and Joe Lewis who would want to come in at Tottenham who would be suitable do you think
1: if you're talking about who's going to come in still make no mistake that Tottenham is a job that is going to be hugely Mm. sought after Um, and it's I think the thing with with Daniel Levy as well he's he's always kind of it's almost he's looked for a project and a manager the manager's Although Pochettino has sort of made made some comments about being the head coach nowadays, it does feel like more of a a position, a manager's position. There it has done certainly in during Daniel Levy's time at the club. So I think you could see someone out of left field if if he was to go uh, another manager that's kind of come in and, and and develop and bring this bring this club forward. But um, it's very hard to to say who that was going to be. And and I think really Tottenham fans still surely must. I almost certainly do want Pochettino to stay and to be part of of, sort of trying to progress the club further.
0: Let's reflect on the game once again then on Tuesday night. North London is red. That was the tweet sent out by Serge Gnabry just after he'd scored four of those seven goals for Bayern Munich in the game. Gnabry, a man perhaps unwanted by Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, sold on to Werder uh, Bremen. <laughs> but not before a loan spell at West Brom, where the then Baggies manager, Tony Pulis, opted for Callum McManaman in his side instead. Since then, then, he has been named the Bayern Munich Player of the Year last season. He scored nine goals in 10 games for the German international side, and now he has embarrassed his former nemesis. Uh, James, you actually spent some time with him, didn't you, last season? And and you've written what is a great piece on him uh, for the times. Why didn't it work out for him in England, do you think?
2: Why did it work out for him in England? I think easy to say why the West Brom thing didn't work out. I think that was just poor fit, not suited to the style of football Tony Pulis wants to play, not suited to the situ, not suited to the situation they were in. Tony Poulis, I think, said after on on Tuesday said that they could never get him fit. You know, I think it's also fair to say at the time that he didn't particularly rate him, and I think Arsenal, both parties, should should probably have realised that that was not going to be developmentally helpful to him to go on loan at West Brom. Why didn't it work out for him at Arsenal? Harder to say, because, you know, the Arsenal style of football is something that you would have thought he would have been well suited to. Obviously, at that time, the manager was Arsene Wenger and, you know, he had a kind of track record of kind of promoting youth and obviously had the kind of long term job security to be able to do that. He had a season in I think 2013-14 when he was very young, but he made nine Premier League appearances and sort of almost broke through. And then the following season, he had a bad knee injury, and then obviously the loan spell. And at that time, Arsenal had a lot of depth in those in that wide position: they had Sanchez, Welbeck, Walcott, was Chamberlain, Podolsky at that stage. And they obviously, I felt, they did not quite foresee this sort of kind of elite. You know, level in his future, which which is what he has now reached. I think in in general, this is one of my hobby horses. So people maybe be bored of me saying this because I've said it before. But I think in general, young foreign players, particularly attacking players, we tend to be very imp- Premier League tends to be very impatient with them. I think you know Serge Gnabry made a total of about eleven or thirteen Premier League appearances, a lot of which were substitute appearances. For me, is not really enough to make a really informed judgment on whether someone is good enough. And he now obviously is kind of excelling at Bayern Munich. You could look at um, Florent Tovan, who was at Newcastle, isn't it? Outstanding player in Ligue 1. Uh, Memphis Depay, who has been, you know, reborn as an excellent player at, at Lyon. André Kramaric, who was Leicester's record signing, and they gave him about 11, again, about 11 Premier League appearances. Um, he was third top scorer in the Bundesliga last season. So, yeah, I think just there's a gen- generally there's a cultural thing. We tend to make these snap judgments very, very quickly when players are still at a kind of quite formative stage of their development and haven't really been given a kind of sustained chance and and yeah so I think Gnabry he's a particular individual case I also think he's quite symptomatic of a kind of wider thing that the Premier League maybe could be better at Yeah and absolutely you mentioned some of the players that have already slipped through the net perhaps you can also refer to Mo
0: Salah when he was at Chelsea and Kevin De Bruyne as yeah. well for example there are some players that just Gregor need to move on a change of scenery a change of environment to help them become the players that they end up being
1: Yeah so as James said sometimes just not a good fit whether that's that's on a alone, alone spell or or at the club, and sometimes the the players in front of you that will hinder your opportunities. So, um, but it also can be. I mean, Tony Pulis seems to have taken a hell of a lot of stick <laughs> since this has happened. Even beforehand, you know, there were several interviews with him. He's saying you'll have to ask Tony Pulis why I didn't get a chance. <laughs> I mean, he's fueling he, the fire, then. <laughs> yeah, Tony. I was reading a piece with Tony Pulis saying that um, even. I think he was brought off early in an under-23s game for West Brom and, you know, I think even his assistant coach said he wasn't up to the sort of physical levels required, I mean, it, look, there's two sides to every story, but from a player's point as well, it can take going out and having that sort of chastening experience, having to go back, a step down from Arsenal uh, back in Germany, and sort of that, that can sort of spur you on and think, look I need, I've got to fulfil my potential here and it, that could be an aspect of it too. He could have, it could have been a bit of a wake up call for him, and and and, uh, and certainly on the evidence of <laughs> of the other night, he's it certainly worked.
0: Now, the Premier League's long wait for a successor to Richard Scudamore to be found has finally ended after David Pempsall was appointed as the new chief executive. Joining us now to look into Pempsall's appointment is The Times' chief sports reporter, Martin Ziegler. Uh, Martin, it's it's been a long process in finding Scudamore's successor.
3: Hi, Natalie. Yes, um, 483 days, to be precise. <laughs> wow. Um, that's... Uh, that's that's how long it is since Scudamore announced that he was going to step down. Um, the, and I'm, the, I think the recruitment process probably started straight away. We, there was a bit of a blip uh, last November when Susanna Dinnage was appointed and then got cold feet and backed out. And then they had to restart it all over again. So, yes, they finally got their man, David Pemsel, the chief executive of the Guardian Media Group.
0: Okay, as you say that's his background now say that again okay as you say that is his background chief executive of the guardian media group i'm well aware that he is a football fan he's a chelsea fan Uh, the chelsea chairman bruce buck also chairman of the premier league nominations committee so would have had some say in in this appointment there's no conflict of interest in this is there martin
3: i think just the, the fact he's a chelsea fan is probably probably irrelevant um I'm sure it didn't harm his <laughs> harm yes. his, his, his his interview, but uh, no, I I don't think I don't think so because I I, I think th- this is such an important position for the Premier League that actually what was important for them is they wanted somebody with a media background because TV rights is obviously such an important factor for them. There's some concern over the way that that's heading. We've had the, the domestic TV the. Domestic TV rights packages uh, gone down in value this time, so um, the clubs want to make sure that their income is going to be maintained. So that's why they wanted somebody with a media background. Mm-hmm. David pensel formerly Group Marketing Director at ITV, also was part of the uh, the the, uh, the organisation which founded Shine, another TV production company. So he, he's got a, a lot of experience in that world. And I think significantly for Guardian, he has turned a a group that was making really, really significant losses every year. Uh, And this year, they've actually made a profit.
0: And uh, when will he take up his role then?
3: So he's on a year's notice. Um, The Premier League have managed to secure an early release from that. So he will start not later than April next year. Um, It may be earlier, but they have, secured an agreement it will be not later than April so by which time it will be actually nearly two years since Scudamore um, announced he was he was leaving so it's uh, it does seem like there's been a, a power vacuum for quite a long time
0: and when you mention Scudamore there he, he leaves the role after taking over in 2014 how do you think we'll look back on his reign at the top of the Premier League
3: yeah, he became executive chairman in 2014. And obviously before that, he was chief executive since 1999. Mm. So, I mean, he very much, the Premier League was very much identified with him with their their, their huge growth. So it's, um, I, I mean, I think it's no no coincidence that he decided to step down when things were looking a bit more difficult on the, on the broadcast front, because he had probably taken them as far as he, he thought he could. The challenge now is for someone to try and, make more use of the new digital era you know, the, the amazon's the facebook's netflix all those sort of, can 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 they use those um platforms which are so successful else in in other forms of tv entertainment video entertainment can they somehow tap into them and and get them to pay the same sort of sums as sky and bt sport and uh, others are, the, are, are paying at the moment
0: uh, you mentioned obviously that the the TV income and just how important that is to Premier League clubs. How about handling the uh, conflict that there might be between the Big Six, if you like, and the rest of the Premier League teams when it comes to that income split? Is yeah, that going mean, to be a I, job I, for him?
3: That's a, that's a big job because I mean, arguably the um, one of Schooneman's greatest successes was that he managed to keep that balance for the best part of twenty years that he. Um, because there are conflicts, the big clubs say we drive the Premier League. It's it's people in Malaysia want to watch Manchester United. They don't want to, they don't want to watch, Hull City, for example. Um, and so what they you know, what they what the, the argument there is that the Premier League, big six, you get a, a bigger slice of the, of, of the pie. Um, so there's always been that that sort of tension there. Skudam was handled that pretty well, um, but that's definitely going to be a challenge for the, the new man now. As it is, you know what's going to happen with the future of European competitions because the Premier League are under pressure. The European Clubs Association want to expand the Champions League significantly, that puts pressure on the
0: Premier League. Martin, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you.
3: Okay, cheers. Take
0: care. Now, as we record this podcast, the England squad to face the Czech Republic and Bulgaria has been announced. And there's a number of uh, talking points for us to get through. The notable inclusions, though, are the Chelsea duo of Fakaya Tomori and Tammy Abraham, who's already scored eight goals for Chelsea this season. Gregor, Tammy Abraham, there's been a lot of clamour for him to be in the England squad. If we focus on Tamori for a moment... Does that surprise you that he's in there already?
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a surprise. We were just saying beforehand that a call-up is not really what it used to be. It, se- it seems that Gareth Southgate is willing to call a player up even if they're not necessarily a regular in their team or if, you know, Tamori's only played a handful of games now for Chelsea. Um, but just to have a look at them and to sort of see how they how they fit into the squad and and see how they do in, in the environment and in training and... And he might get an opportunity; you never know. Um, but there just seems to be a, a, a far greater willingness now for for the manager to call up a player almost as a sort of trial <laughs> to have a look at him. Uh, and that's that's not really been the case in in, in uh, years gone by with England. It's always been sort of that was the sort of apex, that was the pinnacle, it was a crowning, crowning moment of of a period of great form and or or, or um, sort of a, an extended spell of, of, of good form in the Premier League. So uh that is really interesting, but he's obviously a, a talented player and, and um and he has he has certainly impressed so far for Chelsea this season.
0: So he gets his place in the side as does his Chelsea teammate Tammy Abraham James, as I mentioned before, there has been a lot of clamour about him playing for England. We know that he could have played for Nigeria through his father. Mm. Um do you think this is based on his future England career in terms of Gareth Southgate picking him because he's mm. not necessarily going to be a starter mm. for England with Harry Kane uh, in the side. Well,
2: no, but I mean, you know, 50% of the squad is not, is not going to be starters. Um, for me, this is a, you know, we've talked about the situation with his dual nationality and the competing claims of Nigeria. For, for me, I have no idea whether that played into it, but for me, this is a squad. This is a call up that would have been totally merited and justified on form anyway. You know, he's been one of the, if not the, outstanding centre forward of the first kind of. Two months of the Premier League season, he's been outstanding for Chelsea. He's played very. He's had. He's un, you know he's had more. He's had more consistent game time than, for example, Tamori. And yeah, I, I think it's you know it's really it's really good news for England to be yeah. honest to have you know someone who appears to be emerging as a really kind of quality depth option. As you say, it, it's hard to see you know Harry Kane being shifted out of the first choice eleven. But I think particularly with. Marcus Rashford who I guess would have been probably sort of the second choice centre forward I, I suppose you know having been not in his best form and and obviously are questions over his ability as a kind of pure goal scorer at this level you know for me it's really exciting that England appear to now have a very very promising young goal scoring centre forward who they can kind of nurture a little bit because he's not going to you know he's not going to be an automatic starter Mm. for me this is an exciting call up
1: it feels like a kind of it's been a meteoric sort of rise for him this season but we have got to remember that he's done a hell of a lot of work to sort of prove himself and scored a lot of goals in the championship for Bristol City and and Aston Villa I think more than 50 goals in, in two loan spells with with those two clubs his only previous time um in the Premier League, it was with Swansea, and that was a more difficult spell. When he had some injuries, Paul Clement, the manager, was 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 sacked. Um, I think he only scored eight goals in that in twenty nine appearances in that that time. But you know, he's at eighteen, he ventured out on loan to get first team football. And I think what we're seeing the sort of we're seeing the fruits of that now. If he if he hadn't had those experiences, he wouldn't be the player he is now for Chelsea. He wouldn't be getting this opportunity. Uh, to play for england either um so it's definitely been it's been a sort of a long journey for him so far and and I've written a piece about about him um for the paper um and some really interesting things about the sort of the dedication and the influence of his family as well. his family all moved to Surrey when he was sixteen just to be closer to Chelsea's training ground when he went to f- became a full time player there um and when Lee Johnson uh, was trying to sign sign him on loan. He, they they sort of insisted that he came round to the family home. Um, Tammy Abraham was sitting upstairs in his bedroom, and Lee Johnson was sort of introduced and almost he said told me that he almost had to be accepted by the family. And then Tommy was was brought down from upstairs and yeah. and the uh, <laughs> and they they spoke football then. So it, there's I think I think you know there's been quite a lot of talk about his about whether he'd play for Nigeria or England. And people, people close to him say that he's very proud of his family's heritage, but it was always England. It was always going to be, if the opportunity arose, mm. it was going to be England.
0: So Tammy Abraham is in the squad as well. There's some notable exclusions from this squad named by Gareth Southgate. World Cup um, stars that are missing. Dele Alli, Jesse Lingard... Carl Kyle Walker, does any of those surprise you, James,
2: that they're not in there? Uh, to, kind of, to kind of varying degrees, I would say. I think Jesse Lingard, his form has been, you know, his his form has been, frankly, quite poor for, you know, maybe, you know, quite an extended period of time. I think maybe probably since the turn of the year, to be honest. Briefly revitalised under Solskjaer and, and has not been very impactful since, you know, probably about January. It, it's always tricky because I think, an international manager is always kind of they're picking yes primarily on club form but also a little bit on what the player has done for them what the player has done in England colours and I think Lingard has always been a good England player I think he's someone who's always performed well in England duty he's done very well for Gareth Southgate and and I think that's why it's probably taken maybe a bit longer than it would have done ordinarily for him to drop out of the squad but I think Club performances are always going to be the kind of primary factor, and his have not been good enough. You know, it's the kind of brutal truth. And obviously, you've got options emerging in his position, like Mason Mount and James Madison, who frankly are in much, much better form. Carl Walker does surprise me a little bit. Yeah,
0: I feel like it's unlucky.
2: I think Carl Walker, well, you know, I think Carl Walker's a very, very good player, and he's playing in an outstanding team. Gregor and I were were talking. When England have a lot of quality competition at right back, I think Trent Alexander Arnold is the future in that position. Kieran Trippier again is someone who's played, you know, who you know maybe a lot of people don't rate, but he's someone who's played very very well for England, and has always been a really good performer for Southgate. Which he's made you a know, great start to, to and to life he's and playing Madrid very well. well for Atletico. He's you know he's consistent. You know he's played um, he's played all he's played. 90 minutes in all seven league games in which they've kept five clean sheets out of seven league games. And he's chipped in with a couple of assists so far. So he's actually in form. And so I guess in that kind of context, uh, and I don't, you know, Alexander-Arnold, I don't think is going to be out of the England squad for a long, long time. So I guess in that context, you can maybe understand it. I don't know whether when it comes to selecting the Euro 2020 squad, for example, whether we might see three right backs in there with, you know, kind of an eye on, you know, I suppose walker has a little bit of positional versatility but but it's difficult to see that now because obviously they've changed to back four and it, you know it's difficult to see him so i don't know you know maybe maybe this could be quite ominous for him but who knows and as
1: we said Wan and reese james that's the other two you would say you know very young starting out their mm. careers and in any other sort of any other well that era certainly going forward for for england Kyle Walker does seem to be the one who, <laughs> you know, Gareth Southgate again. He's he he's always seems to be looking to the future to introducing young players whenever possible. Kyle Walker might be a casualty of that, but as you say, he could be feel very unlucky about that.
0: And the other player to miss out, somebody that has been a, an England mainstay for a while, Delhi Ali. No place for him. Yeah, and that's based that, that, on club form.
1: That's less of a surprise, I think. Um, Delhi Ali. His club form is—he's obviously suffered with injury, and his club form has not been great for for some time now. Um, and I would even say his, his form hadn't been fantastic for England either. So yeah. I think really he has to try and get his his career sort of back on track before he considers um, getting back into the England squad. I think he's someone who Southgate has relied upon heavily, and and really always played when fit um, and and playing well. So. I'm sure he'll be, he's got a, a significant role to play going forward.
2: Tal Alley is a really interesting case, I think. um I wrote a piece uh, I wrote a column. I think about three weeks ago on Stone's alley and Rashford, who were all players who sort of you know eighteen months two years ago you would have thought were absolutely the future of England were players that you know the national team would be built around, and they all have suffered from frankly a decline in performances to to various extents. I don't think any of them bad I think any of them have become bad players overnight, but clearly you know I think it's also fair to say that they're probably obviously John stones has has not actually played that much you know they're not at the level that they were at and they're certainly not now at the level that you thought that you might have extrapolated that they might get to Ali for me is is a really interesting case because 2016-17 three seasons ago now he's got 18 goals in the Premier League 18 goals and I think nine assists at the age of I think 20 or 21 I mean this was a player who looked like you know who at that stage I think was probably you know was possibly the most exciting English player who just looked like the absolute future of the national team, someone who is going to be an absolute mm. world-class star. You know, 18 goals from a sort of, you know, kind of advanced midfield position at such a young age. And I think his case is really, is, is interesting because I think it's quite a nuanced one. I think, I don't think he's played badly over the past few seasons. His role has changed a lot. He's changed from being that sort of, you know, kind of, box-storming kind of second striker type player to being sort of, you know, more of a kind of, you know, attacking midfield creator to then even being more of a kind of central midfielder who has a lot of kind of defensive responsibilities, who has to, you know, do an awful lot of kind of pressing work that Tottenham do. I think his, it's, it's sad. It's a kind of, it's a culmination of quite gradual kind of Yes, it's been a decline, but it's also kind of a decline with, I think, a little bit of mitigation because because I think his role has changed a lot. He's not the player that in 2019 that we probably thought he would have been in sort of 2016.
0: Well, it is. It's an omission that we've all noted, obviously. Um, perhaps not an omission as such, but someone that Raheem Sterling suggested should be considered by Gareth Southgate for the England squad is Phil Foden. He obviously doesn't have a place in this squad we have seen it before Gregor where a player who isn't playing that much I mean, even right now with with, uh, Tomori he's not necessarily he hasn't necessarily played a lot of games for Chelsea but he's got a call up why do you think he's not picked someone like Phil Foden
1: he's not playing in the Premier League Um, I think that's and I don't think there's any real sort of potential of him doing so on a regular basis either I think it just seems to be when you think of those players you think Phil Foden seems a bit more callow, and he's not ventured out on Tomorrow he was at, at, has been on several loans, and he went to Derby last season it was a big success, one player of the year there. Um, so I think Foden is a victim of the success of all these guys who've ventured out on loan, or some of the some of those who've gone out permanently, like Jaden Sancho, yeah. um, and have flourished and are now sort of important parts or getting getting an opportunity in the England team but I think the one thing to say is that he's 19 maybe 20 he's Mm, 19 England is England his sort of primary motivation right now he wants to get in the Manchester City team and I think he's willing to show some patience to sort of stay put and learn from Pep Guardiola and the players around him and I think if maybe if he doesn't doesn't get the opportunity in the next 12 months you might see him venturing out somewhere and then England will become part of the discussion as well.
0: If you remember last season, Maurizio Sarri came in for a lot of criticism for not playing Callum Hudson, Odoi. Uh, eventually, he was still called up by Gareth Southgate. Do you think for the sake of Foden, for the sake of the England team, we should actually be get, getting frustrated at Pep Guardiola?
1: It's not up to Guardiola. To, it's not, Guardiola no, but sorry. he should be
0: frustrated, can we not? We yeah. were with Sari.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, look, Gareth Southgate could call him if he, if he really wanted to. And I, he's trained with England's uh, first team squad on numerous occasions. He knows what he's capable of. Um, so if he wanted to call him up, he could. Midfield is a player is a part of England's team. Where there's lots of options, um, and I don't. I don't think it's really. Guardiola's not thinking about England when he's, when he's thinking about whether to play Phil Foden or not.
0: OK, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, James Gearbrand and Martin Ziegler.
1: Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet.
0: It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search the Times subscription for more information. Have a good weekend. We'll be back on Monday.
2: The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.